turn with me this morning in your Bible, please, and look with me again at this sixth chapter of the book of Judges. And we shall read what remains of that chapter that we have not studied. That would be verse 33 through verse 40 remaining in this chapter. Judges chapter 6 and beginning at verse 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And he blew a trumpet. And, and Abizar was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali. And they came up to meet them. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so. For he rose up early in the morn, on the morn, and thrust the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. For it was dry upon the fleece only. And there was dew on all the ground. Turn with me again, please, and stand with me. We sing number 616. Forever blessed be the Lord, my Savior and my shield. He sends His Spirit with 
give his word to arm me for the field. When sin and hell their force unite, he makes my soul its care, instructs me to the heavenly fight and guards me through the war. A friend and helper so divine doth my weak courage raise. He makes the glorious victory mine, and his shall be the praise. Then if you would turn with me again, also number 722. Oh, speed the Christian on thy way and to thy armor cling with girded loins the call obey that grace and mercy bring. There is a battle to be fought an upward race to run, a crown of glory to be sought, a victory to be won. The shield of faith repels the darts that Satan's hand may throw. His arrow cannot reach thy heart if Christ control the bow. The glowing lamp of prayer will light thee on thy anxious road. Twill keep the goal of heaven in sight and guide thee to thy God. Oh, faint not, Christian, for thy sighs are heard before his throne. The race must come before the prize, the cross before the crown. Thank you, be seated. A great storm is gathering. We've arrived finally to this text, which contains these last seven verses of chapter 6 in the record of Israel's judges. 
We've seen that our God has heard the mournful cries of his sad and suffering covenant people. Suffering, of course, as we have said many times already, suffering from their own sins, but suffering nonetheless. And our God has heard their sad and mournful cries of suffering. We've seen already in this chapter that having heard their cries, he has come down in a theophany, which is in our text called an angel. He has come down and has what been watching. <laughs> watching specifically this servant Gideon that he would raise up. He has been watching their tired, toiling, tortured, troubled spirits and lives. The angel has been watching specifically. The tired, toiling, tortured, troubled servant, Gideon. We've seen that he has sovereignly chosen out to himself a servant, a vessel for their relief and deliverance, Gideon. And in the past several messages, I'm not sure the number, somewhere around 13 or 14 messages I have preached from this chapter. In those past several messages, we have watched as this angel with a capital A, the Lord preparing his people and preparing his servant, this vessel, for the work of deliverance. We have watched as Gideon has struggled. He struggled first, do you remember? He struggled with the identity of this angel. That was his first struggle. He wanted to understand who is this that is speaking to me. He struggled with the identity of his angel. But then he struggled with the impossibility of his own calling. Because this angel introduces himself and says, God will deliver Israel by you, sir. And he struggled with that. And the struggle, by the way, is not over. It continues in our text today. He struggled with the identity of this angel. He struggled with the impossibility of his own calling. And then finally, he struggled, we saw last, he struggled with the awful work of repentance and spiritual renewal. It was a labor. It was a work. And he struggled with it. He went about to do that that 
would have been unthinkable had not God told him to do it. It was hard. It was a struggle. He dealing with this man. By the way, can I just say to you that nothing's changed. Real repentance and spiritual revival is not easy. It's work. The scripture tells us plainly in Philippians 2 and verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It was interesting what some of the commentators had to say about that verse. The Greek words is sufficient enough. It means to labor. It means to toil. Interestingly, it means also to stimulate. <laughs> stimulate yourself to your own salvation. Labor in it. It was awful work. And Gideon struggled with it. Struggled through it. And achieved it. And now this morning, while Gideon has been actively involved in all of that work, while he's been involved in all that work, unobserved by him, a great storm is gathered. on the horizon of his and Israel's life. It is the storm for which this angel has been raising him up. And here it is described in verse 33. And then all the Midianites and all, and all the Amalekites and the children of Israel, uh, children of the east, were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. I give you this morning a great storm that's gathering on the horizon of Gideon and Israel's Life And this is, I will and have chosen to deal with this text by way of an outline. And this is the first point in my outline. Simply put, there's a great storm gathering. I personally agree from my study, limited as it is, I agree with most commentators who say that this invasion that is announced in verse 33 had no relation to the events which were just previously recorded and from which I preached. That is Gideon's work of reviving and restoration in Israel. Gideon in the preceding verses leading right up through verse 32, Gideon has been engaged in a great work of destroying the altars of Baal 
and building the altars of God and reestablishing God's right of supremacy in the lives of Israel. And while all that is going on, this great storm is gathering, but it has no relation one to the other. Indeed, as Matthew Henry well said, and I quote Matthew Henry, their success, that is the Midianites, their success for so many years in these incursions, the little opposition that they had met with, and the great booty that they had carried off made them now both eager and very confident. So that it seems to be that both sides in this ensuing conflict are equally unconscious of each other. The Midianites are unaware and frankly probably uninterested in what Israel is doing with her God. And simultaneously, Gideon has been so busy as to be unconscious of the Midianites' movements. <laughs> He's been quite busy with his own experience until now. Just now, we get to verse 33. They've assembled themselves in masses. And I love this phrase. I'd like sometime to preach an independent message just from this phrase. There's this terminology in verse 33. They have assembled themselves in masses and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. There's a great sermon title. Pitched in the valley of Jezreel. So then, now, when we get to verse 33, the necessity for Gideon to actually be what the angel of the Lord had so shockingly announced him to be, if you'll remember that, he said, Thou mighty man of valor, in verse 12. And now when we get to verse 33, the necessity for Gideon to actually be what the angel of the Lord had announced him to be, that necessity is now on the verge of being put to the test. While Gideon has thus far been unconditionally obedient, and his faith has been exercised and is growing, yet now, in verse 33, the contest is imminent and the hoofbeats of war are pressing down just outside his door. Now with no desire to be tedious this morning or purposefully repetitive, I remind you again, when we hear this shocking announcement in verse 33, it comes just on the heels of a great revival. <laughs> it comes just on the heels of a great revival in which Gideon has struck a powerful blow 
to vain idolatry and raised a holy monument to the praise and the glory of Israel's God. And just on the heels of that, we come to this verse that says that all the Midianites and all the Amalekites and all the children of the east gathered themselves together and went over and pitched in Jezreel. Kyle and DeLeach said, from all these things, the fact that he had seen and heard the angel of Jehovah and that he had been taught by fire out of a rock, by the disappearance of the angel, by the vision of the night, by the words addressed to him there, Gideon did indeed believe that God both could and would deliver Israel through his instrumentality, but but this faith was not placed above or away from the conflict of the flesh in which it was tested. And it is not strange, says Kyle Milish, it is not strange that it rose to its greatest height when the work of deliverance was about to be performed. Wherefore Gideon, with his faith, sought for a sign from God against the most vehement struggle with his flesh. In order that his faith might be more confirmed and might resist the opposing flesh, with the greater force. And this petition for a sign was combined with prayers for the strengthening of his faith. He's moving along and he's in the midst. Can we just use the expression? And it's just an expression. He's moving along in the midst of a great revival. And now the contest comes. I hope you can see this morning, here is our first lesson from this portion of this text in our passage. While Gideon was busy with the work of reforming, while busy, Gideon was busy with the work of his own heart and of his family, Midian was equally busy making ready for their next assault. Equally oblivious to God's work among his people, while Gideon was busy with the work of reforming and revival and oblivious to the Midianites, they were equally oblivious to his work. But now the two converge at verse 33, and the conflict is imminent. To put it more plainly for you, if I may, to bring the lesson home, even while we give ourselves diligently to the work of tearing down the strongholds of Satan, even while we give ourselves to the work of building up the altars of our God in our lives, even then, simultaneously, 
Satan is working, planning, strategizing, and yes, in the inspired word, pitching in Jezreel somewhere preparing for war. Do you get it? Boy, I hope you get it. I hope you get it. It's the whole message this morning. It's the whole message. I hope you get it. Actually, for a bit more clarity for you, it's really summarized in the New Testament in the simple words of Peter. In First Peter chapter 5 at verse 6, listen to the inspired apostle. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Listen to verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is working right now. You may be oblivious. Yea, beyond oblivious. You may be consumed with the work of tearing down Baal's altars and building the altars of God. But the Midianites are pitching somewhere. Dr. Gill has so well exposited this text when he says, We ought to watch with diligence. That text in 1 Peter chapter 5, it's interesting what he had to say about it. He said that text tells us that we ought to watch with diligence, care, and industry, keeping a good lookout. Minding and observing everything that presents itself. And remembering the power and cunning of your enemy. Having a subtle as well as a malicious enemy to deal with. He is the saint's avowed and implacable enemy. He pursues with great violence and diligence. As a lion runs about here and there when he's almost famished with hunger and it also denotes the insidious methods, wiles, and stratagems that Satan takes to surprise men and to get advantage of them. He takes, Gill says, he takes a tour to come around about them and upon the back of them and unawares, so that they have need to be always sober and upon their guard. Oh, how especially have I been thinking lately on this lesson in this text. As some of you have shared with me recently, privately, that the Lord through these, through these 
verses through this inspired text in our sermons lately. The Lord has been enabling you to pull down some of the idols of Baal in your life and, and raise up markers for God in your life. And when I love, I bless the Lord for it and I, I rejoice to hear those testimonies. But when I hear them, it brings me to this text. And I fear for you because I know that the Midianites are pitching somewhere while you're building. He's pitching somewhere while you're tearing down altars to Baal. Oh, beware. Beware, beware, beware. While you are so diligently and faithfully and wisely engaged while you are so spiritually engaged, Satan is amassing his forces somewhere. Pitching in Jezreel. There is no rest from this enemy. Oh, my beloved souls today, there's a great storm brewing somewhere. As our enemy never tires to steal the harvest. They're gathering in verse 33. What are they gathering for? They're going to steal the fruits. And I can assure you as surely as I stand before you this morning, the enemy of your soul is amassing troops somewhere in some valley of Jezreel to steal the fruits of what you're doing. While we labor building altars to our God in our jobs, he'll pitch in the valley of our homes and seek to steal our peace and the fruit. While we labor to build altars to our God in our marriage, he'll pitch in the valley of our children and seek to steal the fruit from our loins. While we labor building altars to our God in the assembly of the beloved in the church, he'll pitch in the valley of our prayer life or in our study and seek to rob us of our faith and joy and freeze our affections and crush our zeal. On and on and on in comparisons like that I could go on and on I could go just trying to help you to lay hold this morning of this text in verse 33 that even while we engage in that most needed most powerful most spiritual work of our God as Gideon was there's a storm gathering somewhere and our enemy is pitching in a valley somewhere nearby ready to steal all the fruits of our labors. Oh, didn't dear old, <laughs> I so well identify, and I can just testify, I don't mind. I can so often, so painfully identify with Brother Peter. Impetuous, loud Peter. Dear old Peter learned this lesson. He learned it the hard way. Luke 22 and verse 31. Listen. 
Dear old Peter, listen. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you. He may sift you as wheat. You've got to understand, at this moment, Simon Peter, he's on the mountaintop. He's unconscious. He's unaware. He's, he's not attentive. But the enemy of God is pitched somewhere in a valley near him. He said that Satan's desire to have you that he may sit you. But I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. And he said, here's what a great work of revival he was in. (laughs) Could I use that expression? He said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Oh, yes. Ready to die. Oh, blessed Peter. While he had raised an altar of love to Christ so high and so pure that he was prepared to draw a sword and fight unto death if he needed to for the Lord. Yet was Satan at the door knowing the weakness of his frame and within just a few short hours he'd lose all of that fruit and curse the Lord Jesus three times in public. Oh, the frailty of our fallen hearts. Watch, I say. Be sober, I say. Be vigilant, I say. Resist steadfast, I say. Learn from our text here this morning in verse 33. Even while we're active in our godly pursuits, the enemy of our soul is pitching somewhere. And if we fail to watch, the result will be my second point in my outline for this text. A servant that's struggling. We've seen a storm that's gathering. But in this text, we're going to see a servant that's struggling. But before I would move on to that point, and I shall not today, because before I could move on to that point, I must relieve my soul of a great burden which I've carried ever since way back when I began to study this text. I trust I should never have need to make apology for a burden of gospel application. While I am very aware that the strict interpretation of our passage this morning has no specific gospel intent, yet I cannot entertain the expression of my title without my heart burst with a burden 
for some of you. And the application to sinners as well as saints. Let me just state it again. There's a great storm gathering somewhere. Just on the horizon, while you, my unconverted friend, remain busy building your altars, oblivious to its approach. Oh, if you will not hear me this morning, if you will not hear my message this morning, if it means nothing to you what I say this morning, will you hear the words of a real gospel preacher of days gone by? As he tries to reason and plead with the careless and oblivious of his own day when he said this. Oh, he said to his congregation, and I can almost see him stand back in the 1800s in his pulpit. Certain that tears are running down his face because others write of it that he preached that way. P.M. Palmer said this, Oh, how every Sabbath day you listen to the most solemn appeals of the gospel without emotion. He said, I seek to catch inspiration from the song of angels and paint to you in the very dialect of the Spirit the glories of the upper kingdom. But I am to you as one that hath a pleasant voice and that plays upon an instrument and nothing more. I go down into the world of despair and uncover the mouth of the pit and hold intercourse even with the lost and pour their dismal groanings into your ears and yet you're not alarmed. I seize the trumpet of the archangel with which he'll summon the sleeping world to judgment and yet it piercing, it piercing blast does not even penetrate your sealed ears. I stand at the foot of the cross and catch the wail of Jesus in his expiring moment as he pours out intercession and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And turning his eyes upon a lost world, he says, Come unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. And yet, and yet, and yet you're not one. Oh, sinner says this broken-hearted preacher, where shall I find the argument to prevail with you? Where shall I find an argument to prevail with you in all these things? I've made the circuit of three worlds. I sought an argument from each. I've laid bare to you the vanities of the earth. I've spread before you the attractions of heaven. I've poured forth before you the warnings of hell. And yet today, in frozen, in frozen indifference, 
You're standing beneath this threefold battery just as though I were throwing handfuls of roses against the rock of Gibraltar. What evidence is here of the hardness of the sinner's heart? Oh, adamant, adamant is nothing to it. Harder than the very rocks upon which you stand is the hardness of the heart that's able to stand against God's own appeals as He utters them in all the worlds in which we have any knowledge. Is it too much to fear in this state of the case that those who continue Sabbath after Sabbath unmoved by these appeals may be holding with the cords of their sins and that their iniquities have taken hold upon them. But my friends, if you cannot feel, if you cannot feel, you can at least think and I ask you to resolve the solemn question in your mind. Wherein do I differ from those whom God has already shut up into the world of despair? There is a difference, says this preacher. There is a difference. Blessed be the grace of God. There is a difference. This difference is that you are yet upon the earth. That you are the prisoners of hope. That God still addresses you the cause of mercy and the pleadings of love. Oh, while prisoners of hope flee to the place of refuge and be shut up within the ark and you'll be safely sheltered from the flood when it comes on the world to destroy it. Oh, there is a difference. There's one difference between you and the damned in hell. You're not there yet. You're here. You're here. Oh, listen, as he preached on another occasion, on a different Sabbath day, warning that there was a storm gathering to the sinner. He said, and of the careless and impenitent in this house, I have only one question to ask you. How comes it to pass that you alone upon this whole earth fail to recognize God manifest in the flesh? In the days of His flesh when Christ veiled His deity, there was not a province in nature, in nature, in nature, there was not a province in nature that did not penetrate the disguise and do him homage. <laughs> oh, the treacherous waters moved beneath his tread, but gave a solid pavement to his feet. The fish that swam beneath brought their tribute money and put it in the palm of his hand. The wild winds careering over the waters heard his voice in the storm say, Peace, be still, and they slumbered at his feet. Hallelujah. The blind eyes that never saw the light of a mother's smile opened upon him who first called the light out of darkness. 
Yes, and in that hour and power of darkness when he hung a wailing man upon a tree and all the evidence seemed to commandeer against his godhood, even then nature betrayed no suspicion, but still did him homage. Great horror of darkness overspread the skies, shrouding the dismal scene. The sun put a veil over his face and weeps behind it because he must gaze on this awful tragedy. The earth herself quakes in her anguish. The insensible rocks are rent in consternation. And even hell is moved at his coming. And the very dead start forth from their tombs to welcome him who's the Lord of the resurrection. Sinner, by these prodigies of nature, I challenge you today. Will you be harder than the everlasting rocks? I challenge you today, will you sleep deeper than the dead? All nature has testified against you. And we'll do so again at the judgment. The sun, when he goes out in darkness, with his last expiring ray, he will write your doom. The heavens, when they're rolled up together as a scroll, will in every fold reveal you and your damnation. The everlasting mountains upon which you shall vainly call to fall upon you and hide me from the presence of this Lamb will betray you to His searching gaze when they melt like wax. Oh, I beseech you to know Christ now in His mercy, in His grace that you may not know Him hereafter in the terrors of His consuming justice. I quote these words to say to every sinner, there's a great storm gathering. And they've already pitched in the valley of Jezreel. There's a great storm gathering and your unrepentant soul and hell is yawning wide to swallow you up this very day. Priscilla Owens in late 1800s penned these words. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the strong tide lift, and the cable strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? Will your anchor hold in the strains of fear when the breakers roar and the reef is near? When the surges rave and the wild winds blow, shall the angry waves then your bark overflow? Will your anchor hold in the floods of death when the water's cold, chill your latest breath on the rising tide can never fail while your anchor holds within the veil. 
Will your eyes behold through the morning light the city of gold and the harbor bright? Will you anchor safe by the heaven shore when life's storm are past forevermore? There's a storm gathering. Palmer, at the end of one of his sermons, penned this, these words. Yonder sits the slighted Savior with the marks of dying love. Oh, that I had sought His favor when I felt His Spirit move. Golden moments, golden moments when I felt His Spirit move. Now, despisers, look and wonder. Hope and sinners, here must part. Louder than a peal of thunder, Hear the dreadful sound depart. Lost forever, lost forever. Hear the dreadful sound depart. One other poet said this. Hell is coming. Hell is coming. Oh, the march is deadly quiet. Hell is coming. Hell is moving, though its minions steal from sight. Quiet marches on its forces, silent as the shades of night. Unmolested, undetected, unexpected comes the fright. Oh, the sadness, oh, the darkness of the world's deep, deadly sleep. Oh, the horror when its clutches shocked alarm your soul will reap. Silent, silent on it marches, marches while you careless be, until suddenly its clutches Damn your soul eternally. You may be oblivious this morning to its march. It's so silent. It's so quiet. It's so still. You may be oblivious, but I'm telling you, there's a great storm gathering. And it's already pitched in the valley of Jezreel in your life. Until suddenly it's clutches. Damn your soul eternally. There's a great storm gathering. There's a great storm gathering for you. God help us. Stand with me, if you will, please. Turn to number 717 and sing with me. My soul be on thy guard. Ten thousand foes arise. The hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies.
My soul be owned by God. Ten thousand foes arise. The hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies. Oh, watch and fight and pray. The battle ne'er give o'er. Renew it boldly every day and help divine implore. Ne'er think the victory won, nor lay thine armor down. Thy arduous work will not be done till thou obtain thy crown. Fight on my soul till death shall bring thee to thy God. He'll take thee at thy parting breath to his divine abode. <sighs> Thank mm -hmm. you.